It's time to talk about investing with exchange-traded funds. Welcome to the ETF of the week, where we get the latest from ETFtrends.com Chief Executive Officer, Tom Lydon. Tom, always great to chat with you. Great to be back, Chuck. Thanks. Tom Lydon joins us on the GameBridge Hotline. GameBridge believes that deferred fixed annuities are a steady guaranteed way to grow your savings. GameBridge's innovative self-managed platform provides direct access to trusted annuity products without complexity or hidden fees. Learn more at GameBridge.life. Your ETF of the week is... The Invesco Russell 1000 Equal Weight ETF, ticker symbol EQAL. EQAL, the Invesco Russell 1000 Equal Weight ETF. So equal weighting something that some people right now would be kind of curious about why you're picking this ETF because, you know, the market has been volatile, et cetera. So some are saying you want to be a little more selective with stocks. Others would say you want to ride the indexes because they've been climbing the wall of worry. So why this index construction and this index now? Chuck, you're bringing up some great points. And, you know, as we look back coming out of the financial crisis, it was really tough to beat the S&P 500. And why was that? Really because there was a small group of companies from a cap-weighted standpoint that did really well and consistently did well over the next 10 years. Mostly FANG stocks, as people know them, the Facebooks, the Amazons, Netflix, Googles, Apples, and now you can almost throw Tesla into the mix too. However, one of the biggest fears that financial advisors have today are market concentration and and stock concentration in the major market indexes and how expensive they are compared to their historical values. Many are feeling that the pendulum may swing back to the mean where value stocks that have been unloved for an extended period of time may start to show some attractiveness in the marketplace again. And rather than jettisoning your S&P 500 allocation or even your cap-weighted allocation, this is a way to maybe diversify so you own more stocks, not just large cap, but some mid and small cap that may fall into this category, number one, but also some growth stocks and some value stocks at the same time. We know that rising interest rates aren't necessarily the friend of growth stocks. And we're starting to see more fears about inflation. We're starting to get signaling from the Fed that they may hint of tapering. And then the next leg in the stool there is rising interest rates. So if we continue to see inflation kick in, although it be more than expected by the Fed, we could in the next couple of years see rising rates and really something meaningful for the first time in over 30 years of declining rates. My point is indexes are attractive because of a diversification standpoint, but the S&P 500 of today is not your father's S&P 500. And an equal weighting is a great alternative way to use indexing, but historically, sometimes it's beating the index that it's based on. Sometimes it's lagging the index that it's based on. And that tends to be really more about what's happening with the market, maybe than the construction itself. So is this at all a call on the market? Is this a case where 
you're using a 200-day moving average or making this a trend play for when you want to be equal weighted and when you want to be traditional index, not equal weighted. I would just say this, Chuck. I think today the average investor in the S&P 500 does not know that there are seven or eight companies that have a weighting of 25% of the S&P 500. When they hear S&P 500, they think of 500 stocks and that they own 500 stocks, which they do, but there's a disproportionate weight to a handful of companies, number one. Number two, they tend to be in either information technology or the technology sector, communications, that type of thing, very heavily weighted in certain sectors. And these sectors have a weighting in the overall index that are somewhat extreme today when other sectors are at other extremes. Things like energy for for an extended period of time was one of the top four sectors. Now it's a fraction of what some of the other sectors might be. I think what I'm bringing out, and maybe it's it's the old part of me or the conservative part of me, and you and I like going back and forth on this, Chuck, is if you're happy with the ETFs, if you're happy with your portfolio, from time to time, you have to look under the hood and really understand what you own. Because from a de facto standpoint, although you may have been happy with the S&P 500, it is very heavily weighted in certain sectors and certain stocks and maybe diversifying into a more broad index that is not cap weighted, but in fact, equal weight gives you at a period of time when I'm not saying we're going to have a bear market. I'm not saying that things are different, but if we have consistent growth over time, it's probably going to bode well for those companies that are less affected by rising interest rates and inflation and have a better chance to do well when their valuations are in line and not to recent extremes. This is an interesting fund for a different reason, because it's truly a classic indexing pick for what you want indexing for, which also makes it a little confusing for the investor. You and I know Pretty much all money that goes into mutual funds goes into funds that get four and five stars for Morningstar, even if that's not the be-all, end-all. This, however, is a three-star fund. In fact, if you look at this on Lipper, you would say, oh, wait, it's in the middle of the pack year to date. But the flip side of that, if you look a little deeper on Lipper, it gets Lipper leaders marks, the best marks you can have for total return, consistent return, expenses, and tax efficiency. So in other words, it's doing exactly what you want an index fund to do, even though, of course, it's a little bit more middle-of-the-pack performance-ish. So does this pick really only work for guys who are indexers who understand? Or do we have to convince those other people, hey, it's okay to buy a three-star fund? Chuck, let me ask you this question. Why would you say it got a three-star rating? Would it have anything to do with the fact that value stocks in the last decade stunk to the greatest degree. Oh, absolutely. It's risk-adjusted performance. And so even though the fund has done well in terms of its performance, from a Morningstar perspective, anybody who's loaded up on the value, but in this space, probably not going to score all that well on star rating. Yeah. So here's another scenario. Say coming out of the financial crisis in 2009, it may have been devastating to your portfolio but you stuck with it. 
And because sticking with it, it paid off for you. So now here you are, what, if you were 50 at the time, now you're 62, right? I'm kind of honing in on our age group right now. Wouldn't you want to make sure that if we did see another period of time, another correction, that you'd want to be properly diversified? And again, I'm not saying jettison the S&P 500, but maybe diversify into broader indices where there's more equal weight. So in fact, you know, this strategy actually didn't do that poorly during those periods of time. And because it has a whole variety of different sectors and it has a whole variety of different companies, you're getting a more broad diversification of the marketplace. And I'm not saying time the market, although I believe in that to a great degree, but if you're an asset allocator and you look at your portfolio today and you've got a high correlation of the S&P 500, it might make sense at a time like this when we're hitting all-time highs in the market to spread the wealth a little bit. Yep. And the other thing that's classic when you look at this fund's charts is that you go to the worst year in the fund's existence from a market standpoint, which would have been 2018, and it was way ahead of its peer group. Down, yes, but still way ahead of its peer group. That, of course, gives you some idea of what the volatility might be in cases where the market conditions are changing. So an interesting pick. It is EQAL, the Invesco Russell 1000 Equal Weight ETF, the ETF of the week from Tom Lydon. Tom, always great to chat with you. Thanks, Chuck. The ETF of the week is a joint production between ETFtrends.com and Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. And that's me. And you can learn all about my weekday show at MoneyLifeShow.com or on your favorite podcast app. Now, of course, the ETF of the week is normally available for you every Thursday, but last week, Money Life was having problems as my studio was without power for four days. But we're back on track. We caught you up. And this week on Thursday, we will be back at our regular time. Of course, if you don't want to miss anything, then check out ETFTrends.com for all ETF information. Tom Lydon, their chief executive officer, my guest, well, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Lydon. You can follow ETF Trends at ETF Trends. Thanks so much for being patient with us. We'll be back in a couple of days. And until then, happy investing, everybody. Happy investing, everybody.